This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 6 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is Part 5 in our series on Harv Bennett, looking at his work as a television series creator, where we're going to look at the fifth show that he created, fourth show that we're covering, and that is Invasion America. So, okay, we talked last week kind of about how, you know, Harv Bennett would adapt for the times and, and see what's out there and and uh, make a move in that direction instead of just keep on doing whatever he was doing, you know? Yep. And, and never is that more evident, I think, than Invasion America, which was released in 1998, so uh, let's say... Well, let's just say it was four years after Time Tracks ended. Yeah. And this is a show which aired on the WWWB. <laughs> I'll never get tired of that. Nope. In prime time, <laughs> despite the fact that it was animated. It was a 13-episode a series. The plan was to do more, but they only got to do the one season and uh, originally it aired, it's weird, because they were like 13 half-hour-long episodes, but originally they aired like two a night and yeah. then three a night for the for the last one. So it was a six-part series. Yes. Sort of. six Six-week series or whatever. Yeah. And um, it uh, was supposedly co-created by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, well... His studio Which, <laughs> produced DreamWorks pr- produced it, right? And so, yeah. yeah, that's sort of I think where that credit comes. It's sort of like George Lucas, uh, you know, being a co-creator on uh, Howard the Duck. I mean, he just sort of like gave his name. He's like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I mean, you know, I think I've read some places where they're like it says created by Steven Spielberg and Harv Bennett, developed by Harv Bennett. So I mean I can't I can't remember who said this back in the day but there were all these rumors flying around or whatever like the story was that like what lies beneath was based on an idea by Steven Spielberg you know even yeah. though it's credited solely to Clark Gregg as the writer of all yeah. people <laughs> and I remember someone at the time saying like uh, yeah, it's based on an idea by, by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg was like, hey, Clark Gregg, I've got an idea. How about you go write a movie? Yeah. <laughs> and the result is what lies beneath. There you um, go. Which is an awesome movie, by the way. Uh, I disagree about that, but oh, go uh-huh. go on. All right, let's watch not, it, let's, yeah. let's not detour about that awful movie. Written by Agent Coulson. And I don't hold anything against him for it. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Just one thing. I, do you, okay. I mean, I don't know if you remember that or whatever, because no one knew who Clark Gregg was. But back then, it was always like, it's written by the guy who is the floor manager of What Do Kids Know in Magnolia? 
Uh, that was not a something that I had heard at the time. I saw it with my girlfriend at the time in the movie theater, and if I recall correctly, it was right around the time Moulin Rouge came out, wasn't it? Didn't it come out yeah, the same summer? Been. And I remember, uh, yeah. I remember loving Moulin Rouge, still love it to this day. And I remember at the end of what What Lies Beneath saying, "That sucks," and I was very upset and walked out of the theater. You're crazy, but but I- it was. It was all co- it was all because of the uh, the third act like the th- like it had me for the first two thirds of the movie and then the last third of the movie I was like screw this now nah, you're crazy what lies beneath is awesome anyway <laughs> we digress we do <laughs> but that's that's what makes the show entertaining hopefully yeah. all right so uh, you want to give kind of like a synopsis of Invasion America I know it's big like how how much of it did you watch or what what did you see. Uh, I watched, I'd say, probably aggregate about half. I kind of jumped around a little bit. Um, And, uh, I I mean, I remember when this came on, actually. Uh, I I, I think I caught part of it back then. But even by 1998, you know, I was was trying to grow up. And so I wasn't (laughs) watching too much uh, primetime cartoons except for uh, The Simpsons. Um, You know, it's sort of... it seems unfair, but it's very easy to dismiss the idea at this point because it's like, oh, aliens and infiltrated, you know, levels of government. And there's this kid who's, you know, like going back and, and looking at it and sort of like seeing the structure of it. The origin story of the main character is somewhat similar to Star-Lord. Uh, from, mm-hmm. So I wonder if Brian Michael Bendis watched this uh, growing up because it's about a kid who is half alien and his father was the ruler of a of a distant kingdom and you know he's you know the hope for earth and and everything like that i'm like oh that's kind of familiar and you know nowadays yeah it it did feel like really familiar in a lot of ways and uh it it is kind of weird it it is pretty big i remember when it came out too you know and and i i remember being really excited about it because uh I was a fan of like animated TV shows, you know, and at the time we had like Batman and stuff and there was always sort of like this desire to find like an animated show which would kind of be a bit more adult, yeah. you know? Like the big thing was which I remember, you know, I it's just a weird thing. Like one of the sort of <laughs> um like uh um I don't know what you would call it. Uh trademarks of an adult show or of a show being maybe worthy of of checking out was whether or not people died on it oh yeah oh yeah well it's it's, uh it's sort of like the uh the robotech rule if -hmm. they were if they were willing to off a character like they did with roy fokker in uh in robotech it was like ah okay yeah you're you're being serious about things now yeah absolutely yeah and not even not even just like you know a main character but just like saying like well, people can die here. Well, that's cool, you know? Yeah. I mean, like G.I. Joe, no one dies, even though it's, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. you know, you, you, you like Gargoyles, like people were getting I mean, I remember there's one thing in Gargoyles where a dude is wearing like a metal like mask and his face gets lit on fire and you see the flames coming out of the eye holes, you know? Yeah. And it's like, wow, yeah, this show, this is badass. I got to check out Gargoyles. And, and Invasion America, it sort of had that thing. Like, it had that cool animation style where they were kind of starting to play with the idea of, you know, melding 2D with, you know, CGI, you yeah. know, 3D animation. And, you know, Spielberg's name attached to it and everything. And it was like, oh, you know, this is probably worth checking out. And I remember, you know, 
actively anticipating it and then watching like the first episode and enjoying it, but not really going any further, mainly because it's hard to record stuff on a weekly basis, you know? Uh, when you don't have a DVR. Yeah. <laughs> back in our day, uh, back when you only had uh, VCRs and, uh, wow, yeah, DVD players were around then, but you couldn't record on them or anything. So No, no, yeah. But, uh, yeah. The I, hardest I, part really was labeling the tapes properly. Yeah. Well, the, you know? you, your penmanship mattered very greatly back then. Yeah. It, or it really just, did. I mean, it, not being lazy about it, too. You know, finding a label... <laughs> yeah. And everything, yeah. and it's like, you know, well, uh, you know, I've got 15 tapes stacked up here. I don't even know what's on them, but I, I can't get rid of them because it's all stuff that's important. And you don't want to rewatch all of them because, you know, that's hours and hours of footage. Yeah, you got to fast there, forward yeah. and realize on the counter what would be an hour, you know, and all that stuff. Did yeah. I record an SP, LP, or SLP? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was tricky, but... <laughs> But, um, you know, so, yeah, it was hard to, to catch up with it at the time. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's really kind of epic in a lot of ways. You know, the first episode yeah. is told primarily in flashback, and it's, like, setting up this whole thing where, like, this guy who's an alien who looks like a human, and he's the leader of this this alien race, and he comes to Earth, and he falls in love with an Earth woman, and they have a kid, but yeah. then he needs to leave because there's going to be like a military coup, essentially, and they're going to kill him and his baby and his kids. So he leaves mm -hmm. on his spaceship. It is very similar to Star-Lord. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> is. And, and then, you know, the story picks up like, you know, 17 years later or whatever it is, the kid's, you know, now in high school and he doesn't know anything about his past. And now he's going to get thrown into this... Uh, intergalactic civil war kind of thing which has you know i, I do want to give a special shout out to uh the they were called the the manglers right the yeah that looked sort of like velociraptors crossed with dogs mm -hmm. and like and the way they in, i mean in the first episode the way they introduced them was like, on like a fossil dig where you know yeah. they dig it up and they're like how old is that they're like it's only 20 years old and they're like oh that's no dinosaur <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the guy's like, please tell me this is ancient. He's yeah. like, nope, it's not. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. You know, yeah. that, <clears throat> it's pretty good. Uh, I mean, the show definitely had big, you know, you almost feel like with Time Tracks and then this, that Harv Bennett had dreams bigger than the budgets he promised to deliver things on. You yeah. Know? Like he, he really, uh, you know, gosh, you want to go back to Star Trek V too. But like there, there's almost this consistent feeling of his ideas are bigger than what he can give you um, yeah which is not a knock it's like he just had you know he, he he developed really good solid ideas it's just the execution would trip them up and that was one of the things with with this where i was like you know i was thinking about that while watching this and you know like in the first uh, you know episode they're like utah massachusetts Mm -hmm. uh, I, I forget where else they go, you know, and it's like they're they're like spanning, not to mention space, you know, and they're like spanning like continents and stuff. And it's like a massive sort of um, uh, scope to this to this series. And I kept on thinking, like, I can see why he would gravitate towards animation because, oh, yeah. you know, like you're saying, this is kind of what tripped up time tracks and whatnot. And it's like you get to animation and it costs just as much to 
draw Utah as it does Massachusetts, you know? Yeah. So why why not? You know, you can do whatever you want in animation. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what what did you think about the series? I I get it's good. It's um it, it's uh, uh, dreams are, are are bigger than its its you know capabilities or what have you. Um, it's fun to watch, sort of as a reminder of you know what it was and sort of like the time period in my life. So you know, like this, this is one of those series where I can relate to what was I can remember what was going on uh, while this was on the air, and it you know the the animation style is evocative uh, to a, to an extent of Robotech. Um, you know, it definitely borrowed some some aspects of anime and. Um, you know the use of the CG is appropriately rudimentary, <laughs> so you know it's it's fun. It's a fun curio. It's nothing where I would like lead a, an online campaign to get like a Blu-ray remastered edition out there. But you know it's fun to watch. It's it's not going to cost you anything except some time. Yeah, yeah, and it is nice how it kind of like flows rather quickly. You know, th- it it does kind of like fall into sort of the. Um animation trap that i think a lot of shows fall into where it's like we're gonna set up this premise and it's a fairly simple premise and we're gonna make it even more simple by spending 15 of the 20 minutes uh just fighting yeah yeah um but you know i mean there's there's a a sort of a, a a big enough story that that it is kind of interesting i mean it is rather complex you know you've got like two sides of of aliens and they're you know i mean it, it's you know the, the the people who are planning on invading america are uh well they're trying to save their own species right i mean i don't know i don't remember exactly but you know their planet whatever wow. ran out of resources whatever it was my gosh you know you know what i just realized as you're you, it reminds me too of uh zod's motivation in man of steel Mm-hmm. Whereas, like our our species can't exist unless we take over the planet Earth. Like, yeah, when Independence Day borrows that theme too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a that's a tried and true theme in in sci-fi, especially sci-fi invasion stories. You know, alien invasion stories, and you know there there are two sides to it. I mean, it's it's weird because you know you've got this this uh, leader who's like you know we're not gonna attack these people for their thing, but there's also like a social commentary, you know, in it where they're the the people who are trying to invade America are like these people are very uncivilized and they're going to kill each other and they're obsessed with weapons and war and everything, especially America, you know. And I'm yeah. like that's pretty interesting to bring up in sort of a teen cartoon, you know. Yes. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, uh, these people are going to kill themselves anyway, so let's invade and destroy them. Right. It exactly. has a, it has a certain logical appeal, I suppose. You know, <laughs> eh, let's just take care of it for them. We're just hitting the fast forward button. <laughs> They'd ruin the joint anyway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting show. It's definitely better than Time Tracks, you know. Oh yes. It's, uh, um definitely better than The Invisible Man. Oh yes. Um, yes it is. <laughs> yeah, no but, that it's an upward trajectory. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, you know. You know, I I, wa- I wonder if they could have kept going with because it, it does it does end say it says uh, end of book one or something yeah. like that. Yeah, 
I just wonder if if it were to be brought back now, like in, in the era of you know ancillary merchandise and and uh, cinematic universes, like this is the type of thing that would scream for that to have like a companion comic book series and a toy line and. I think it would it wouldn't have been just launched with a cartoon show. Like things are now launched as part of a blitz now and I think something like this would have lasted longer had it been released nowadays. Yeah, well they actually did do that to a, a minor degree. They did? There were two novels. And oh, really? one one was just a straight up adaptation of the miniseries. But the other one was a prequel to the miniseries. No kidding. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I kind of hoped that it, the second one would be what they were planning on doing in season two, but that's not the case. You know, were, they so. were ri- they were written, uh, you know, contemporaneously. They were written as part of the yeah, the mythos. yeah, and, okay. and they were both written by the same woman. I, I forget her name, but uh, yeah. So you know, they, there is some consistency there. You know, I don't know if it's considered to be canon or whatever, but. I mean, it might as well be, right? There's only two of them, so. I, w- I, w- yeah. I wonder if DreamWorks could bring this back as a movie. I mean, they couldn't do worse than Jupiter Ascending, right? I like Jupiter Ascending. Did you see it? No, I haven't seen it. But no, it's an it's easy. Not bad. It's an easy joke. I'm trying to relate to people that hate it. <laughs> All right, it's an easy enough joke, but it's not a bad movie. Go see Jupiter Ascending, people. It's not bad. Go go and spend your money, and uh, if if you don't like it, uh, I believe that's a verbal contract that uh, Mike will reimburse you of the sure. cost of your rental. Yeah, why not? Why not? Just as long <laughs> as you uh, wait until it's streaming on Netflix for free. That's right. We will figure out the amortized cost of watching <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, this is, you know, and this is actually very similar to Jupiter Ascending when you think about it, mm. too, you know? The idea mm. of a, a a woman who it, it doesn't realize that she's the heir to a you know uh, yeah Ag- alien empire and everything yeah exiled yeah. royalty and a uh, a fierce defender uh, you know coming to help out and everything but uh, yeah you're right yeah huh <laughs> it's 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 a tried and true plot I guess and that's yeah. kind of one of the things which I uh, thought was uh, it's kind of a detractor for me. You know, it really did feel like, you know, even when I, when I was watching it, I was like, I don't know what this is like, but this is like everything, you know? I feel like I've watched this a million times before, you know? Yeah, but, you know, it, it's sort of, I, I will avoid any pizza analogies considering what happened last time. So instead I'll say it's like chocolate chip cookies. You know, okay. there's some, there some great chocolate chip cookies and there are some mediocre chocolate chip cookies, but you still like eating a chocolate chip cookie. That's I, fair I, enough. I, I hope not to offend anybody who might be gluten intolerant um, <laughs> because they're, they're delicious and you don't know what you're missing. But, you know, I, like I, 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 think that, I think that the goals of the show, yeah, I don't think they were trying to break any tremendous ground except possibly with the use of the, of the CG blending, mm-hmm. but... Like you said, like you know that that was sort of like the the threshold that all of the cartoons were sort of stepping across at that point. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's not it, there. There's enough of an interesting um, take on the mythology to uh, justify its existence, even if it is rather simplistic. Yeah, yeah. 
not super great either. Like you were saying, you know, not something where it's like, you got to go out and see this thing. But right. we're worth checking out if you've watched everything else. Uh, well, I mean, it's on YouTube. I mean, you know, just have it on in the background if you want, you know, with your yeah. smart TVs and your iPads. You can watch the thing while you're taking a shower if you want to. And you really can do that because there's not that much plot and there is a lot of action. Yeah. So you can just kind of have it on as sort of like background noise. It kind of reminds me of the Clone Wars in a lot of ways, to be honest. Why are you being hurtful? That's not, really, I, that, I, I, like the, I like the Clone Wars. No, uh, that statement just gave me heartburn. No. I no. You know, I, I no, like the Clone stop Wars. It, stop it. Stop but it. But there is a lot of just people shooting at each other in that, in that thing. Well, I will point out that they're having a war. So that tends to happen during a war. But okay. 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 Speaking of speaking of wars, just to place this in the proper historical Spielberg context, this show came out the same month as Saving Private Ryan. This is not as good as Saving Private Ryan. That that is true. That is true. Although if uh, Harvey Weinstein had had anything to do with it, this would have had uh, an equal <laughs> shot at winning the Oscar. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It's kind of crazy to think that Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture that year. That's insane. It is kind of nuts. That is yeah. kind of nuts. Maybe Invasion America happened. You know what? The, Spielberg spending uh, any attention on a show like this is what cost Saving Private Ryan the Oscar because he wasn't out there promoting that movie hard enough with the Academy voters. Right, and he so, was too preoccupied with Invasion America. And so Invasion America is to blame for Shakespeare in Love winning the Oscar. Yeah. You know what should have won the Oscar that year, though? Are you going to say American Beauty? Or No, wait, that did no, win the Oscar, that was, didn't it? That was, that was 99. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I get my years um, mixed up. I'm no, yeah, old. it happens. No, I mean, clearly the best movie of 1998 was um, The Big Lebowski. Better than Saving Private Ryan? Absolutely, 100%. <sighs> I love Saving Private Ryan. I love yeah, it. Yeah, you you know I, I'll give you that. Uh, that yeah, Saving Private Ryan was okay. I, I can see the argument for that. I, I'll, yeah. I'll put it that way. I can see the argument for it. Sure. I think if people were to vote now, it would be the Big Lebowski winning. Oh, just by a landslide. <laughs> At the time, people didn't appreciate it, but now, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So there were a number of Star Trek people who worked on this, aside from Harv Bennett. And, you know, I mean, this is something which we've seen in, in prior weeks where he, uh, you know, establishes relationships with uh, certain people and uh, continues to work with them through his career, which is kind of cool. Yeah. We saw it last week with David Lowry, who had written Star Trek V, working on um, Time Tracks. Uh, you see it with Leonard Nimoy, actually, you know, having... Uh, Produced the uh, the the uh, television movie. What was it? Her name was Golda, or her, her name? I yeah, don't know what it was? Yeah, is that what it was called? I I, th- I think a you're woman, right. A woman named Go- whatever it was, and I think he was at least nominated for that uh, for an Emmy. Nimoy, if he if he didn't win, he was at the very least nominated. Um, and you know, here we see him again. You know, perhaps calling in a favor. Uh, Bennett was for for Nimoy and saying, hey. You want to do a voice on my uh, show? It'll only take five minutes, you know? Yeah, right. Well, you can record in your closet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stick them in four episodes. And I remember that at the time, too. It's, it's saying, like, they've got Leonard Nimoy in this. 
And it's like, well, that's a thing, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal for a science fiction property. You stick Leonard Nimoy in there, I think in a lot of the, the same ways that we, we saw with uh, um, In Search Of, you know? Yeah. You get Leonard Nimoy because he's the voice of authority, especially when it comes to science fiction type of things. Galvatron commands attention. There you go. Galvatron. Yeah. yeah. So here he is doing his thing, doing his voice in a minor role. So that was kind of cool. Um, there were a couple of other uh, Star Trek actors who who did voice work in this that you pointed out. One was um, James Sicking. Yes, of Hill Street Blues fame, but also the captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek Three. Yes, he was. He, um, how, I, who did he play in this again? Uh, he played General Gordon. General uh, he, Gordon. Yeah, he was uh, Gordon. Uh, he was uh, he directed two of the missions or something like that. Uh, in the episodes, it was, uh, what was it? Uh, Stark and Romar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the attack on Maple Island was, uh, was one of them. Okay. So, so he probably wasn't in the first episode. He didn't arrive no, until Tuesday. No, he did. He was, he was, yeah, right. He, uh, it, well, that's, that's generations. That's not Star Trek three. He was, um, oh wait. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the guy from, uh, no. So not the guy from Ferris Bueller. No, not, no, oh. no, no, no. Not Cameron okay. was in Egypt's land. No. James, uh, okay. the one that wanted to break some of the enterprise's old speed records. Okay. The guy with the stick. Yes. The stick and the stash. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, uh, <laughs> who commanded Miguel Ferrer actually. But, um, yes. Yeah. He was promoted after the, after was it general Conrad was killed. Okay. So, yes. Okay. See, I, I only watched the first four episodes. Um, it felt like because like each episode ends with "to be continued." You know, they really want this to be like, and that's one of the the other things which I, I we we didn't talk about, but I think is really kind of cool was the fact that this did have like a continuing storyline, and that was mm-hmm. something which was becoming more prevalent at the time. You know, certainly you saw a little bit of that in, in genre stuff like the X Files and Babylon Five. And, you know, uh, this was a show that was doing that, which I thought was kind of cool. You know, the fact that it's an animated show and everything and and they're doing that. I like I, I, I like that quite a bit. And that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it in the first place. Sure. I mean, it is worthy of note uh, because, again, in the in, you know, in the animated world, I, you know, I, I know I keep going back to Robotech. This is like the third time I've referenced it. But that's no. that's really the only animated show previous to sort of like modern times that I can really think of, you know, it, it, there was a long drought after that one in terms of cartoon shows where it was like, if you missed the previous week's episode, you were kind of like, what, who, what happened? You know, yeah. how did the invid get there? Wait, what? And, and Robotech, that was definitely true of, even though I never watched Robotech, like, the, no, I mean, th- that could be true, but like that, like, uh, this is, this is how, how devoted I was to this concept, Right. Like, my friend who worked at the comic book store that I worked at, you know, he was a huge Robotech fan, and he told me everything about it and how it broke down into books and chapters and everything and all this stuff. And and he had recorded them all on Betamax when he was a kid. Betamax. And he still had the tapes. And I'm like, man, I would kill to see those, especially since he had them all. You know, and you couldn't get them anywhere else, right? Yeah. So I actually at one point borrowed his Betamax machine along with his tapes in the hopes or or in the the, effort to watch 
Robotech from the beginning. And I got like three episodes in and was like, I don't really like this show. But, you know, I'd be willing to give it another shot. I certainly hope you would because it's it's amazing to me how dead you were to me when you uttered those words. (laughs) Come on, man. I mean, you know. Did yeah. you see that uh, they hired James Wan to direct the RoboCop or RoboTech movie? Sorry. I I don't even I I the, the, you know I, I'm going to be very very honest that like you you know it would be very easy you know with with Star Wars and of course with Star Trek you know it really matters like what the director is but RoboTech is the last truly sacred childhood memory that I have. I I don't know if I can even bring myself to go see it in a theater. Like it it would be too. Too difficult, and because if they if they change one note in that uh, in in the opening theme song, like I'm just going to stand up and burn the theater down. I mean, I don't know anything about it. I'm just going based on pure speculation or whatever. But James Wan is of an age that he probably feels similarly about Robotech uh, to you. And also, he is proving himself to be a very, very fine director. And based on those two things, I think that Robotech is probably safe for you to go see in the movie theater. I certainly hope so. For all your sakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that, so that, that was something which was going on here. But because of that, you know, like when I was re-watching these episodes, it wasn't the type of thing like with time tracks or whatever where I'm like, I'm going to pick a few here and pick a few here. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to start at the beginning. And and I watched like the first four episodes. And after the fourth episode, I really felt like they were ending an arc. And since Bennett had only written the first two I yeah. was like, okay, now here's a place where I can stop, you yeah. know, and and um, because of that, I didn't get to see you know some of that stuff at the end, like with the the guy from uh, Star Trek Three and that and that sort of thing. Well, you know, it, it's it's worth you know, like you said, having it on in the background and just you know autopilot, you know, do something else while it's on and see how it ends. Yeah, yeah. Now th- there was uh, another Star Trek voice actor here. Uh, Ronnie Cox, another captain. Yeah, who actually uh, was uh, had quite the discussion around him uh, going on in the Babel conference recently. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, trying to basically some people coming and um, I'm struggling with his name right now. Uh, who he played? Jellico. Uh, Jellico. Yeah, um, where people were basically talking about the fact that um, you know Jellico wasn't. You know, he was a jerk, but he wasn't awful. And, you know, sort of like landed on the Enterprise crew now being like, why couldn't they act a little more professional? It was a really fascinating discussion. It really was. I think there's definitely something to that. I mean, I didn't participate in that discussion. But to me, I mean, I've always, you know, thought about that. Certainly, this is a a show which is being told from, in that particular storyline, Riker's perspective or the, the crew's perspective. But... I mean, I think the way that it was presented was very fair. And, you know, you really could say that he, it was just a different management style, you know. Right. And we've all been there, and it's not necessarily better or worse. He was just different. And the personalities kind of clashed. And that's not something we were used to seeing on Star Trek because, you know, God forbid anyone should have an argument. But, yeah. uh,. <laughs> You know, they did it here, and it ended up being one of the best episodes ever in Star Trek 
next generation history. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for to go back and actually still have a a big discussion about you know what amounts to you know a flash in the pan side character is like yeah. that's that's a testament to the and episode office, itself. Office politics, really, too. You know. Uh, you know, maybe it maybe it is that all of us who were uh, watching it first run now we're old enough to have gone through our own sort of jellico experiences, <laughs> and, and you know and that went one way or the other. But at the end, we were all like, "Oh, well, you know, they are still human beings, and maybe <laughs> maybe we all should have found a way to work better together." Yep, yep, yep. But to me, anyway, and I think that you'd probably agree, the uh, most significant Star Trek collaborator on this show, and probably the most significant collaborator uh, that Bennett had on the whole for this this show was Michael Reeves. Yes. Um, Michael Reeves, it was the... Well, he co-wrote the first two episodes along with um, Bennett, and then he also wrote a few more along the way. Bennett was listed as executive producer along with Spielberg, and certainly he developed the show, and he you know is responsible for the, the overall um, existence and concept and whatnot. But, you know, I mean, as these things often, you know, do, I, I, I kind of get the impression that it was similar to, say, season one of Next Generation, where Roddenberry kind of set it on its course and then maybe handed it off to someone else. Maybe not. I don't know. But if he did, Michael Reeves was certainly the guy who he handed it off to. Yeah. He was the, the, the highest ranking writer and wrote the most significant episodes of the show. Um so it's uh, you could say as much Reeves's show as it is Bennett's um, or Spielberg's if you choose, <laughs> um, but uh, Michael Reeves has had a very significant career at least to us um, in terms of Star Trek. He was the co-writer of Where No One Has Gone Before, which is a very interesting episode, uh, which I've recently sort of rediscovered and reappreciated. Um, this is the episode with the Traveler from season one yeah. of Next Gen. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you like that episode? Uh, you know, it's very interesting. Um, it it's something that intellectually I think I liked, but emotionally it didn't ever click with. Like it, it was something that I always watched in the abstract. If that makes any sense, mm -hmm. I was kind of like uh, you know. You know how sometimes you can watch a movie or TV show and you're like, I like the way this is built and it's structured, but it's just not hitting the chord with me. Yeah. That's sort of my reaction to the episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was initially my, my reaction too. I mean, I kind of dismissed it, you know, for the first like 15 years or whatever that I watched it. Um, but the last like two times that I watched it, I had like a different perspective. I think maybe I was open. Like to me, it was always just like the weird episode where, you know, one of those where it's like, there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on, and I don't know what's going on, and whatever, you know, who cares? But, like, the last time, I think I was maybe more open to the idea of, like, alternate reality sort of stuff, and the idea of, like, human evolution being in Star Trek and stuff, that kind of thing. And, like, watching it with that perspective and that sort of open mind, I kind of came to the realization that, this episode is really sort of like the key to understanding Wesley and all of the complaints that people have about Wesley, especially during the early seasons, I think are um, uh, uh, un unfounded when you take into consideration 
where no one has gone before. Interesting. It's like, basically, the Traveler is explaining that Will Wheaton, or not Will Wheaton, well, maybe Will Wheaton too, (laughs) (laughs) but Wesley Crusher, at the very least, is the next step in the human evolution, you know? And the reason why he's super smart and the reason why he's always saving the day is because he is special. He is above and beyond everyone else we've seen, you know? Yeah, maybe that's what causes the disconnect for somebody like me, though, is Star Trek didn't ever seem like a um, in need of a Skywalker, if you will. And like Wesley becomes the Skywalker there and it's kind of like, that's not really what I dig about this. I mean, I, I would agree with you and I did agree with you for a long time. But I think what I'm seeing now, you know, is like there's this one episode which deals with it really hardcore and then the rest of the time, it's just this sort of subtle thing, which you would never, ever notice when you look at individual episodes. But when you put it all together, it becomes this sort of like cumulative thing that makes that, that sort of theme clear. Does that make any sense? Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, I, it's been a while since I watched TNG. So maybe, maybe I should go back. But I, I found myself uh, trapped in a... Uh, an accidental Deep Space Nine rewatch recently. So, you know, <laughs> it it'll, happens. Be, it'll be it a happens. while before I escape that orbit. Well, I can understand that for sure. You know, I wouldn't yeah. want to disturb that orbit either. You know? <laughs> Bad things happen. <laughs> but Reeves wrote that episode, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I think I would say go back and watch it at some point, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay. But um, he's written some other stuff, which I know both of us are very fond of outside of Star Trek. And that stuff includes Gargoyles, which we were just talking about, which yeah. is a pretty awesome show. Highly recommend it. I wish they'd release the rest of it on on uh, DVD so that we could watch it from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, and then he also was a writer for the animated Batman series and wrote Yay. a number of episodes early on in the run and also wrote or co-wrote Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Which, Which is, is an amazing movie, an absolute joy to, and you know, if anybody, everybody who listens to this show has heard us go on about it before, but seriously, if you haven't watched it, please watch it. It is fantastic from beginning to finish. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. One one of the best Batman movies out there for sure. Easy, yeah. So yeah, Michael Reeves, and it, it, you know, I mean, him coming from animation, he'd written for a lot of other animated shows too. I mean, I guess it's no surprise. He's actually one of the few people who have written for both Star Trek and Star Wars. He was a writer on Droids and Ewoks, so um, you know, that's cool in and of itself. Wow, him and J.J. Abrams. Him, J.J. Abrams. Uh, I don't. I think there's one or two others, but yeah. Now I must find out all their names. <laughs> I must find a way to become one of them. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's 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 a special it's a special talent. Yeah, yeah. Not not that many actors either. There's George Takei and Simon Pegg, and I don't know who else. I'm sure uh, Greg Grunberg, but yeah, yeah. No, there's there there's got to be somebody. <laughs> yep, yep. That's crazy. Anyway, um. So yeah. If any final thoughts on uh, Invasion America? 
Yeah, you know, uh, go back and watch it. It's, you know, it, it's it's a diversion. It's it's not going to change your world, but uh, you know why not? It's you know it's fun to go back and at the very least it'll remind you of a now defunct network or I guess reinvented <laughs> network that has brought uh, the arrow to us. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend it as well. You know, I think that I have this tendency um, with these things and uh, saying like, well, this is good, this is good, but it's not elite, you know, and therefore I don't recommend it because why would you be watching Invasion America when you could be watching True Detective? But, you know, I, I need I need to like break away from that nice. mindset and be like, you know what, this is a good show, you know, in and of itself. And because of that, I do recommend uh, watching it for sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Before we go, one last thing that we want to touch on just because, uh, it's, you know, Star Trek creator related, uh, Justin Lin gave an interview with, uh, I believe deadline, uh, where he talked about, um, some of, uh, the plans and things and stuff that he has going on with, uh, the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek beyond, which he's directing, uh, they start shooting in, well, probably about two weeks from when this uh, drops. And uh, it's it's kind of exciting. I mean, like... Judge, <laughs> judging from when Carl Urban is canceling his convention appearances. Yeah, yeah. I got the, I got, I got the email saying, <laughs> Carl Urban's not going to be at the convention you're attending because he's filming. And I'm like, hmm, what could he be filming? There are only two things I'll accept as an answer to that. And that's Star Trek Beyond or Judge Dredd 2. I was going to say... <laughs> Yes. So, um, you know, uh, Justin Lin, you know, they asked him about his uh, relationship with Star Trek uh, going into it. And it was pretty interesting. He told a story about uh, how um, when he was growing up, his dad worked 364 days a year and was always very busy. And the only time that uh, the family really spent together was at night. And uh, they would sit around eating dinner, watching the original series. So he has that sort of like connection on a personal level because he can relate to it and how he relates to his family, which is pretty cool. Um, But then also in talking about uh, some of the uh, ideas and plans that, that he has for um, uh, the new movie, he said that it's going to be an original story uh, that it's not going to deal with any uh, pre-established alien races and stuff like that. It's going to be about new uh, characters and new uh, worlds and civilizations and all that stuff, and uh, he said that you know they're going going out exploring, and that it's going to uh, you know hopefully be a story which reflects on the human condition or or whatever. Yeah. So I thought you know that was pretty interesting because that's a, a lot of stuff that people have been uh, hoping for. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. I mean. I, you know, as much as we all love, uh, you know, the Klingons and the Romulans, it's pretty great that the director is, you know, coming out and saying, you know, those have been done before. Let's let's do something different for a change. I'm all for it. it it's a very original series idea when you think about it, because like the original series, even with the Klingons, who were like the big, big bad guys, what you saw them like five times or something, right? Yeah, I mean, it it really was almost every week there was a different alien or or whatever, and here you know we're gonna get that again. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the idea that he was more like he says like, well, I didn't go see movies, so all my friends were Star Wars fans, and I was a Star Trek fan. 
you know, that's definitely something that people complained about not happening the last two times out. So, hey. It's almost you know? the polar opposite of what Abrams said, which was, you know, I grew up with Star Wars and I just trusted these guys just to write a Star Trek movie because I figured that's what it was about. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's saying all the right things. Whether or not it'll turn into a good movie, I guess we'll find out. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting yeah. nonetheless. So uh, something to look forward to in about a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, thing, the thing that I, I said, which I, I, I think is kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm lame. But, like, you know, lots of times with these big movies, they put out a press release when, uh, <laughs> when like, production starts. Yeah. So I'm anxiously awaiting the first day of production because I'm expecting like an info dump. I, you know, I'll be, ve- day. I'll be very interested actually after that point to see exactly how much uh, secrecy they they exercise, how much of a stranglehold on the story that they keep, because I think it would be also refreshing to loosen those reins just a little bit and just kind of be like, you know, we're not doing state secrets here. We'll let a couple <laughs> of things slip now and then. I think I think it will be looser. I think if for no other reason because Simon Pegg's just going to be like, I'm sick and tired of this. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'll be cool, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Invasion America this week, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I also like how they're like, here's some random stuff. Let us have one of your people. Like, they think that this is actually like a fair (laughs) trade. Like, here's some ugly shield. Take it and let me have one of your best friends in the world. (laughs) Like, what is he going to do? Hang that up on his wall and be like, this is better than McCoy. Earl Grey. You know, what the dressing up and what the the clubs and the meetings and the podcast you know all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy the orb i'd like to see the borg assimilate Ferenginar and then they would become bankers you know i could see oh my gosh i could see bankers. drones yeah yeah the, the world's <laughs> strictest bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the journey. You could say that the Equinox does get destroyed, but Captain Ransom lives. And since he is the highest ranking officer that's alive, he assumes command of Voyager. I hate that idea. <laughs> the ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then I love, just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard, and he's like, hey, what up? (laughs) A little flirty. I love it. Commentary, Trek stars. So I think it actually fits into Quantum Leap continuity somehow. I don't know. I'll have to go to poobala.com and see what they say. Don't you dare try to make me feel obligated to watch NCIS. The 602 Club. But I loved the scene with um, Lucy and Tumnus when they first meet because Mm -hmm. that's a very vivid description in the book. Um, And I felt like they they really nailed that in terms of the way it looked. And 
and the CGI was advanced enough so that um, James McAvoy really looked like he had fawn legs and literary treks. Tell us about coming up with this this story for the crew of the Enterprise. Where did it come from for you, and what were some of your inspirations for diving into these characters once again? Well, Troublesome Minds was such a book that it left me with as if I I didn't quite finish. I'd come up with Troublesome Minds as an idea. That the the idea was what pushes Spock toward Colinar. Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says it it appeals to that, that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door and go see what's out there. And introducing the newest addition to the network, Women at Warp. Iman is fabulous, and I quite like Martia. Yeah, me too. She's a fun character. Yep. Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself. <laughs> right? It was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Star Trek Beyond, am I right? Am I right? Nicely done, yeah. (laughs) You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website and grab the RSS link as well. One way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on our website. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Just look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. On Twitter, you can find the network at TrekFM. On Facebook, you can find the network at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, where you'll also find the Babel Conference, which is a group uh, that uh, people uh, use to discuss uh, command techniques of Captain Jellico and other various interesting things. Um, just go to uh, Facebook and type the Babel Conference into the search field. That's B-A-B-E-L. Or go to our website at Trek FM and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. Where can people find you on the internet, John? Well, people can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. And you can also find me uh, on a uh, little show called Words with Nerds that is also available through iTunes and Stitcher and all of the usual channels. 
And you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find me on my own website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary Trackstars Off-Topic and Commentary Trackstar Babies. You can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find our show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us, one more way to contact us, at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Also, one more place where you could find the two of us, uh, dropping today, I believe, uh, is the 602 Club right here uh-huh. on Trek FM. Why, yes. You, you will find uh, both of us there, along with Matthew Rushing, and I think someone else, I can't remember who, because we haven't recorded it yet, yeah. discussing The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, where <laughs> uh, we will be talking about why The Lost World is better than Jurassic Park and why <laughs> well, Jurassic Park 3 is not a bad movie. Uh, now, see, there are, there are a couple of words that I have an issue with there. And just, you know, in case you folks haven't listened to it yet, uh, this is sparring. What's going to happen on 602 Club? That's going to be a messy bare-knuckle brawl. Yeah. I can't That's, wait. <laughs> the rules are out the window. I'm putting the face paint. I'm, actually, it's like mud from uh, the end of Predator. I, I'm getting ready like Arnold. See, the thing is, since we're used to sparring, yeah. I know that both of us will come out of it okay, but <laughs> since Matthew is not used to sparring with either of us, I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club, kind of like uh, Captain Kirk at the beginning of Star Trek 09. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. He's going to hate Yes. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what happened through no fault of his own, just because he was caught in the crossfire, you know? He he was the unfortunate soul that jumped in the middle and said, now, guys, we can talk this. No! (laughs) We shall see what happens. So check that out. Anyway, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. What book do you have for us this week, John? Well, we mentioned the author, Christy Golden, who wrote the, uh, the, the books for Invasion America. She also wrote a book called Star Trek, The Last Roundup, uh, narrated by David Kay. And the setting is this. Soon the torch will be passed to a new generation, but not just yet. Having saved the Federation one more time in Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise have finally gone their separate ways. Spock, McCoy, Sulu, and the others are spread out across the galaxy, pursuing their individual destinies, until an interstellar crisis touches all their lives. I hate when that happens. It, it, it tends to be a habit with them. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it does, actually. And you can get the book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Well, that's our last Harv Bennett show. So that's exciting. We made it through the decades, about 30-plus years. Well, 30 30 years exactly. 30 years worth of television. Yeah. In four weeks. And next week, we're going to be recapping those 30 years. Um, 
and Howard Bennett's career. So be sure to check that out. In the meantime, uh, go over and check out the 602 Club and then go watch Jurassic World today, coming out today, unless you saw it last night. Oh, yeah. And uh, see, see what you think and let us know um, why it's not nearly as good as Lost World Jurassic Park. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs>